Welcome to a life well lived. Grow, preserve, and transfer your wealth with Ken Olette, CPM Certified Portfolio Manager and Founder of Orca Wealth Management. In this podcast, he will provide some clarity in setting goals needed to build, preserve, and transfer wealth and overcome some of life's financial obstacles. Ken provides actionable steps to help you plan through your financial ups and downs in a way everyone can understand. Join us on this journey where Ken will explore many financial avenues, drawing from his three decades of experience in helping others avoid risking a lifetime's worth of work and savings by not having a plan and a strategy in place. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to A Life Well Lived with Ken Olette. Ken, how are you? Well, all things considered, with this crazy market times we got going on, I think pretty good. <laughs> crazy markets. You are not kidding. I mean, it has been, I I don't know, circus is not even the right thing because although clowns can be scary, circuses are usually fun. This is not fun. <laughs> yeah, it's had very few fun days so far. Yeah. So, I, and, and that's something I'm sure, I'm, I'm positive that you're either getting calls from your clients or you're reaching out to talk to them about this, right? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I try to time these these podcasts for what I think the the public is kind of concerned about, and and the last one on volatility, you know, we put out was was just spot on. Been mm-hmm. a lot of volatility, and and this one with uh, corrections and bear markets. I think by the time this gets posted, God willing, we won't be in one. But if we are, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of chatter about them, so we can talk about it. Yeah. Yep. So you you said corrections, right, and bear markets. Mm-hmm. Those are not the same correct? Right. They're, they're typically, you know, one can become one, but you, typically they have different, technically they have different standards to become one or the other. So on a technical basis, we, any 10% from peak to trough, and that has nothing to do with pigs. Now it's the top of the, <laughs> well, maybe it does, right? Pig belly, but, pork bellies, right? <laughs> <laughs> but the peak of the market, the high to the bottom, uh, anything that's 10% or more, is technically considered a, a correction. And, you know, a lot of these are associated with, you know, with pain. So the 10% pain threshold. And then you go to the bear markets, which are typically anything above a 20%, once again, peak to trough, and a 20% down down movement. And it typically, uh, to be quantified as a, a bear market, it had to be over a two-month period. So, we are deeply, as we speak right now in May, in, in the correction territory with all the major indices. And some of them are actually in the over-the-counter market. The NASDAQ is in the bear market territory. So, But that, those are kind of the technical standards of what, what Wall Street and the general um, e- economists think that a, that a bear market or a correction would be. So let me ask you this. Just looking back at 2020, everybody I've heard speaks about that as a correction, right? Because And, and then it was... Because it was like in March of 2020, it was down like 30%, right? But then it came back very, very quickly. So did it not reach that two-month thing to be counted as a bear market? That's correct. So okay. that, that, that's correct on the correction. Okay, <laughs> so, correct on the correction. So, <laughs> so yeah, because it was so quick, right? It was, it was down and then back up, and that was within a month or 45 days. So I believe that that was deemed a correction because it didn't meet the two-month threshold. But you know, nonetheless, like I said, it's really the difference between a correction and a bear market is is, is the pain threshold that you feel that the clients feel. Mm-hmm. So they know it when they're in it. Okay, so let's let's talk about the causes of both, please, because I 
I would assume that like a, a correction in the market or, you know, a downturn like that could be almost like rumors, right? Things that we think mm-hmm. might happen. And so the market reacts to rumors. I mean, I know that that happens all the time. Oh, you know, something's going to happen that's bad. Uh, the market takes a dip, but maybe only for a few days or maybe a week and then comes back up. Is, is that about right? Or are there other things that really cause corrections? Yeah, I think you're going down the right road there. Corrections really are, they happen quite often. People don't realize that we have on average a 14% peak to trough, once again, uh, correction a year on average. And mm. that's um, post-World War II. And so these things, the the amount of reasons that there is a correction are so varied. Whereas a bear market, you get a little bit more of a narrowed down area of what causes those the corrections themselves can be anything i mean we've had flash crashes right so where we've had the market just dip precipitously over you know a, a, some type of issue with with computers and we had that a few years ago it can be as as there can be sometimes no real rationale for mm-hmm. it. It can just be uh, something that happens abroad, whether it be a default in another country or something like that. And so there might be an anticipated fear in the market. A lot of it is institutionalized nowadays. Whereas before, a 14% correction would probably take you two or three, four months. I think earlier in my career, we would see a two or three, four months. It would take 14%. Now we can get 14% in a week. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like if Elon Musk sneezes, there's a correction. Yeah, yeah, he's a leading indicator nowadays, and <laughs> it seems that way. Yeah, I'm just like there's certain players, right? That if they do something, um, that that everybody has to talk about it, right? The media is gonna just jump all over it. The left side, the right side, they're gonna have different opinions, but they're just gonna have to make the most of it because, of course. That's what sells advertising. And I think, and and I I don't know, I'm not speaking for for you by any means, but from my viewpoint, I've always seen the media, um, you know, the the big channels, we won't name them, but you know who they are, the the news Mm -hmm. that you're watching um, from those two or three big channels. I I believe they drive more corrections than anything else. That's just my opinion. Oh, there's no, there's no question about it. It's, It's that the news feeds upon itself. And so, when you brought up Elon Musk, the reason they, they love Musk is because he's kind of unfiltered. So he, what, what he thinks kind of comes out and mm-hmm. so it makes good copy and, and people do look at him as a visionary. And so whatever he says, they're going to, they're going to take that to what is the hidden meaning behind that? What does that mean five months? And so the media will run with it and make, make all kinds of issues out of, out of anything. And so it just, just creates more volatility, but it just kind of feeds upon itself. You're, you're absolutely correct. (laughs) The way you said that, the the first thing that I thought of when you were talking about that, when he says something, he's unfiltered is, uh, those, those old commercials. Do you remember EF Hutton? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, So it's the old commercials where a kid would be in class saying the alphabet and then they'd get stuck on EF, EF, and then all of a sudden they'd say E.F. Hutton and all the, everybody leans in to hear what they have to say. I have no idea. I, I was too young. I have no idea who E.F. Hutton was or is or whatever. But all I know is that that's what it feels like a lot of times with, you know, somebody says something, everybody's leaning in just to wait, just waiting to find out what they're going to say so they can it's react funny. to it. When my kids were younger, they, they were always, they couldn't really grasp what I did for a living. I, you know, you look at, you stare at green and red all day, dad, on the mm-hmm. computer. <laughs> and so I actually YouTubed those old EF Hutton, Smith Barney commercials yes. and they loved them. But those commercials were such gems because they resonated so well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
to that point in the market. So yeah, that's funny you mentioned that. Yeah, that's whoever funny. that marketing agency is, <laughs> they 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 knocked it out of the park with that for sure. Yep. All right, so let's switch to bear market because again, I don't know exactly what causes a bear market. I'd love to to hear from you. I'm just assuming that it's a culmination of multiple things, maybe that that pushes on the market. Yeah, you know the uh, the old saying is is that when a recession is is when your your buddy or your neighbor's having a bad time, and a depression's when you're having a hard physical or hard financial time. Okay, is that bear markets are are typically associated with a recession. So. In the news right now, uh, the markets have been very, very tumultuous because, you know, as we've been speaking about interest rates, I think that that you and I had a nice conversation two months ago about inflation, about how Mm -hmm. this was not transitory, that it was going higher, that it would have some unintended consequences of which we're seeing right now, right? And, And these things, what the market is looking at now is the Federal Reserve is raising these rates. And as they raise rates, they're worried about the fact that the economy might get too far ahead of itself. There's too much money out there chasing too few goods, as we spoke about. Mm-hmm. And they got to rein that in. The challenge is, is that they're behind the curve on it. And so now we've got inflation that's kind of taken on a, a mind of its own. And so to bring that back in, the market's kind of looking at, okay, they might have to do like a Volcker moment where we have to raise interest rates to 10, 12, 13%. To, to just stymie all this 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 demand and so what that means is is kind of a recession so we've mm-hmm. got two worries we've got either a recession caused by the federal reserve or the federal reserve goes too far and they create a demand recession um, which would be a little bit less onerous and so and the third by demand recession i don't mean to interrupt but i just wanted to clarify that well, demand recession would be the Federal Reserve raises rates so at a, at a nice equitable level like they're doing now, 50 basis points, 50 basis points. And then inflation and those increased interest rates cause people just to stop wanting to buy. Mm-hmm. Right. They just they just uh, well, you know, inflation's too high. They're, the Federal Reserve's raising rates. My credit card uh, payments and my interest rates and stuff of that nature are going going up. I'm just going to stop putting off. I'm, I'm not going to make those purchases. So that would be, that's kind of a demand recession. So yes, the it. other type would be where they're just forcing a stop. To, they're raising rates so high that people just basically run and cut, run for cover type mm-hmm. of thing. So it's a, maybe it's a, they're both demand, but one is a, a gradual, whereas or the other one's very abrupt. Got it. Well, and, and I look at it from, I mean, you, you even said it, there's lots of things that are affected, obviously, with inflation. Pretty much everything is affected by that. Mm-hmm. But the when we talk about interest rates being raised, I always think about houses, right? Because mm-hmm. you, you, borrowing money, that's the biggest chunk of money that most people are ever going to borrow is for a house. And, Without a doubt, yeah. And it, you know, I had never known this before, I think probably speaking to you about it, uh, whether it was on a podcast or off air, you reminded me of the 80s because, again, I was a kid. But in the 80s, you know, the inflation was – or not inflation, but the, the – the markets for houses, it was like 14 or 15, 16%, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is just, I don't know how anybody would afford a house at that point. So I see that if they're raising those rates right now, how quickly is it going to be until somebody says, you know what, I'm not going to buy a house now because these rates are just too high. So that, that makes perfect sense to me as you, as you explain mm-hmm. it. We're starting to see a little of that now. I mean, I think the headline today was the, the, this is the most adjustable rate mortgages they've seen. 
mm. um, originated in, in quite some time. And that's simply because the mortgage rates, when we did our interest podcast, like I said, a couple months ago, I think the mortgage rates were around three and a quarter. Now they're at what, five and a half. Mm. It's a pretty big jump. Yeah, it's a big jump. So can we talk about bear markets again? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, because I want to look at the history of it and the, the way the reason I say that is just kind of looking back at them. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe some of the major causes in the past and 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 why we may be moving into one now. Yeah, so you know, I look at it from two. I look at it because I'm a big history buff when it comes to the market. So I always look at historically the perspective because things they don't look exactly the same, but they kind of play out the same. And so I I look at things post World War II. Is, is some of the richest data we have. And then I always look at things since I've been in, in the practice of managing money. And so in my practice, we've gone through three really pretty con- consequential bear markets, right? So we went in, we had the one in 2000 to 2002, mm-hmm. which the market was down 49.1%. And it took two and a half years to get back that 49.1%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is using the S&P 500, by the way. Okay, and so then, not but another five years later, we were down 57%, and it took 1.4 years to come back. So people got you know the belly shot from 2000 to 2002, just recovered, and then they got the overhand right uh, yeah. with the housing crisis that down 57%. So what I always, what I, when I, you know, I was having this conversation with a client just, just yesterday, and, you know, I said, you know, when, when I got in the market, we was, it was 1991 and I was managing money and the Dow Jones Industrial closed that year and we were elated at 3,168, <laughs> right? 3,168. I said, you know, we've been through three bear markets because this person had been with me for virtually all those three decades. Wow. And I said, we've been through three of these brutal markets and you know, the market now is, is lost about 11 or 12% as of today, year to date in May. And the Dow is at 35,000. I mean, that's just incredible. That's huge. Yeah, that's just, a, just, just that type of growth through going through those bear markets. So when we talk about bear markets, you know, it, it, I always like to say bear markets are the price we pay for the permanent upward trend. Mm-hmm. And, and people, people get really worried about bear markets and they get uh, really pessimistic about them. But what, what these type of corrections and bear markets do is they bring equities back to the rightful owners. And you, could, you couldn't illustrate a more graphic period than the last, I would say, 16 to 17 months in the market where there were a lot of people buying equities had no business buying them. Hmm. You had people that got stimulus checks and they were putting them into to growth stocks that had had astronomical price to earnings ratios. They were buying a lot of options. We had we had seen an increase in option buying. And for the listener out there who doesn't know what options are, so you can take a thousand dollars and you can basically control sometimes twenty to thirty thousand dollars of the underlying stock with a thousand dollars. Hmm. But it expires, and you're using leverage. And when it expires, it it can expire at zero. So what this does is it makes the markets it, it inflates the market prices because you're buying it with leverage, and you're using a, a leveraged vehicle to to own more shares of, of a particular company. And so we saw a lot of this extravagance last year, 
And so now we're seeing that pullback where all of these, the, the people that were doing that are, are kind of getting washed out of the market, hmm. which is healthy for others. <laughs> yeah. Not for them. It's not, not, not a, well, it, it can be for them too, because you hope that it's a learning experience. Yeah. Yep. Right. That you know, they're the most difficult times I've had in this business has always been when valuations get extreme, extremely stretched and you'll hear the conversations that Warren Buffett doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, he's, he's old school. It doesn't work that way anymore. And that's when, you know, the market's about ready to, to, to make a little change. Mm-hmm. And so the most difficult parts I've had are those, those times when the market's exchanged, it, it, it stretched out and I'm not buying those things for myself or my clients. And you're scratching your head and you, you almost, you get second guess sometimes about, well, you know, these things just continue to go up. Well, Let's look at some stocks now, like Netflix, Amazon. These are down 40, 50% mm-hmm. um, in some cases. A lot of these stocks are, are, are deep, deep, deep in bear, bear market territory. And these were darlings last year. Facebook, uh, the names just go on and on. I mean, they're all of them, are, are a lot of them. I think Peloton was, was at 78. It's now at seven now, and it was oh a darling. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you a question, and maybe we don't want to get into to it on this podcast, but the other thing, I'm just out of curiosity with the way the markets are moving, what about crypto? I hear, I mean, Bitcoin is just tanking right now, right? Yeah, because yeah, once, once again, you have a, a lot of speculative excess. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I Warren Buffett, I was listening to his, I'm one of those guys that on a Saturday when... Warren Buffett has his annual meeting for four hours. I listened to the whole four hours. <laughs> so There you go. Yeah. And one of the things he said was, the problem with crypto is it doesn't make anything. It doesn't build anything. Correct. It doesn't, it, it, and Munger, his partner, he took it a little further and said it's rat poison. It's essentially hmm. uh, something that just, it, it's just, you have to find somebody else to pay a higher price for it than you. And that's the only value that will ever accrue. And that kind of resonates. And what we're seeing that now is that if you can't find somebody else that's just willing to pay more for it, there's no reason for its existence. And we're seeing it, we're seeing it kind of, I think it fell below 30,000 today yeah. from, a, from a peak of 65 or 67,000, something like that yep. from Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I'm assuming it, again, like you said, it, it, it's that same principle. Um, but if there's, well, let me ask you this. I, I don't want to say this out loud because I'm just, this is the way my brain is working, but do you see a correlation between when, you know, if Amazon goes down, Netflix goes down, mm-hmm. so you got some tech stocks that are going down, does mm-hmm. that pull down the rest of the market in a way because of the fear that's out there? Um, is Bitcoin going down? Do you think because more of the market's going down? So this is obviously going to go down as well, or is there it just coincident that, all of them are kind of heading downward. In my opinion, it is. it usually starts with the most assets that have the most excessive valuation. Okay. Right? So those are the ones. So the first things we saw to fall were, were some of the small cap stocks. When I say small cap for the listener, those are companies that are smaller in stature, um, that are newer companies perhaps. So we saw a lot of these companies trading at, multiples that were very, 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 very expensive based off of projections of them making a ton of money seven, eight years from now. Mm. Okay. So when, when things start to not look so good or something in that underlying picture starts to deteriorate, 
Those are some of the assets that get hit first. And then all the other assets in those categories, which are called, you'll hear this on, on TV, it's kind of their new term they like to use. You know, there's one every cycle they like, the buzzword they like mm-hmm. to come up with. But <laughs> the risk on, risk off. You'll hear this, right? Yeah. So when the market's going good, it's a risk on trade. When it's going off, it's a risk off trade. Well, of course it is, right? So what you're seeing now is is risk off. People are trying to eliminate risk because they don't want to lose principal. And so the things that that are the the most fluffy that have the most to lose, they typically get sold off first, and then the fear just kind of runs down, and then it'll run down to the more defensive assets at some point. It, but that's why, yeah, yeah that, that's exactly how it kind of works. It works on the most the most inflated assets first and kind of goes right on down the line. Isn't there an on-off button on like a craps table too? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this yeah. is, I mean it, that, that's what it kind of sounds like the media is likening to or, or whatever. And, and right now, I think that people that don't know what they're doing and that aren't working with an advisor are just throwing money at, like you said earlier, they're throwing money at things because they have extra money. It's to me, that's like a crap stable. It's just gambling. Uh, well, you, you no know, plan. The, the, the human investor is, is, is a failed psychological experiment. I don't know <laughs> how to put that politely, but for some reason, and there's about 10% and I, I've met of all the people that I've met that, that don't use an advisor. There's about only about 10% of the population out there that really can put fear and greed in check. And it is it is amazing to me the the um, the the reactions that people will make. So I just told you when when I first got in the business, the Dow was at three thousand one hundred and sixty eight thirty years ago, and now it's close to it's in the the mid thirties thirty thousand area, right? So all of that time, your best course of action was to absolutely do nothing. Yep, and you made eleven percent on your money. But the media and the fear and greed and the human psychology tells us that we need to do something when something's going down in value, that we can fix it. And sometimes that thing to do is to buy more of it. Now, anybody that would ever go into a grocery store, if they went there and they saw milk was five gallons for a dollar, they would load up on it. Mm -hmm. But when it goes, you know, five gallons for 50 bucks, They'll say, eh, maybe we'll we'll hold off on the milk this month. But you take that, you put an equity or a or a stock price on that, they'll do the exact opposite. Yeah. Right? They don't want it when it's on sale. They just don't even want to touch it when it's on sale. Yeah. But they want to buy a bunch of it when it's like overpriced. Because it's successful at that point. Right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> right. it's the, it must be super valuable. I, it's the same I, milk from the same cow. I mean, I, just, yeah. yeah. I, I've never been in my entire mind have I ever got that group think. I've just, uh, I just, I don't know. It, it's amazing to me. Can I just, uh, can I just admit something to you right now? I am not yeah. in that 10% you're talking about. <laughs> I am am one of those guys that I, I, I research things to death, which is a good thing, but I also in, in researching things to death, it's because I'm always asking what if, so what if this does this, what if this does this? So when it comes to investing, not a chance because I'm always going to be guessing, well, what if this does this? And I'm, I'm usually thinking of the bad things that are going to happen, right? Not that Mm -hmm. I'm a gloom and doomer, but I, I, I like to be prepared and that's why I research things. 
but that makes me terrible <laughs> at, at controlling emotions or greed or any of that stuff when it comes to like my in my investment. So I just don't I don't do it. That's not going to happen. Not 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 my own money. Not me controlling it uh, by any means. Yeah. So I want to ask the pro when it comes to a bear market. What should we be doing? What should investors be doing? Well, as we've we spoken about this before, you should have a plan, right? So you have a plan in place that you're you're actually poised to be able to number one withstand the bear market right mm-hmm. so not to do anything rash during the bear market because that that can upset everything you know more money has been lost in a bear market from from doing something than not doing something so we need to avoid having the impulse to be able to do something bad based off of information from the media and things of that nature or our own fear or what have you so then we also position our portfolio to get through it and be productive. And we're going to do a, one of our conversations on dividend stocks because dividends is, is all I've done for, for 30 years. That's mm. all I do. That's my forte. That's where, that's what, um, that's what I believe in. That's my strategy. So we'll do a, we'll do a podcast on that, which will be good. That'd be great. But so the great thing about dividend stocks is, is when they're going down, you're reinvesting the dividends, you're buying more and more and more of these great companies at cheaper and cheaper prices. Mm-hmm. So it's very productive down when the market goes down. And so, and then we want to be able to have enough of an allocation of cash on hand. So you should have been trimming a little bit at the top, which, which I know that we have done for the vast majority of our clients. Mm-hmm. We've held, we've held a good position in cash going into this. And so this is going to give us an ample opportunity to buy things on sale. And sometimes it's a fire sale where it's a once in a generational thing. I mean, I've bought, I mean, I, I bought some stocks that from bear markets that I could tell you the prices, you just wouldn't believe it. And the reason we were able to do that was those bear markets. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well, Ken, is there anything else that you need to say to close out this podcast? Any, any other advice? Yeah. Just don't fear the bear. Look at your portfolio, stress test it. Um, make sure you're in a good position. Talk to somebody if you haven't. And use it as the advantage that it is. It can really, really tee up for the next cycle. The, the market's like a, an up escalator. You just got to get on and stay on, mm-hmm. right? But sometimes it's like a down elevator for a short period of time. But that escalator is going to continue on its ride all the way up. And so the, the market started at zero. And now it's at the 30,000 error level. It, you know, so many years from now, it'll be at 60, then 90, then 100. And and we just want to be able to participate in that growth over time and do it as comfortably as possible. Yeah. Yep. Well, my, my grandfather worked with a gentleman. This is years ago. This brought this memory straight back to me. Um, worked with a, a gentleman that, that knew what he was doing as, as an advisor. And mm-hmm. he always told me, and, and this is when I was younger, I didn't understand it at all until he explained what the heck the animals were all about. But he said, people love to ride the bull, but then they hide <laughs> from the bear. <laughs> you, know? you can't do that. You, you've got yeah. to, you know, ride the bull, but you've also got to be present with the bear so you know what to do, right? So I, I think that that falls in line with what you said. I hope that, I hope my grandpa was yeah. right because that's, that's you, what it's not like. Yeah. You got to embrace the bear. That's right. Embrace the bear. Ride the bull, embrace, embrace the, bear. the bear. There we go. Ride the bull and embrace the bear. All right. That sounds good. <laughs> Ken, thank you so much for your time today. This has been fantastic. Thank you. You bet. And of course, last thank you goes to you, listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to A Life Well Lived with Ken Olette, founder of Orca Wealth Management. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Ken comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. 
This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Orca Wealth Management, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to A Life Well Lived. Grow, preserve, and transfer your wealth with Kinolet CPM. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Orca Wealth Management, LLC. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Orca Wealth Management, LLC does not provide legal or tax advice. Clients should seek the advice of a qualified attorney or accountant as necessary.